Hello and welcome. This is Exit the Stage Door, and I am your host, Aaron Teachman. Ugh, guys, this episode is so cool. Ugh, it was such a blast to make. So, you may remember, first guest of the of the show and great friend of the podcast, Danielle Moman. She's a playwright. She wrote a play. We talked about it at the end of that episode. That play is called Nexus, and it was going to receive a world premiere up at Hubbard Hall. I hope I'm remembering that right. I'm not going to bother to look it up. This is like take 12 of this intro, and I apologize for the editing, but it's late, and I'm taking a show, and I have to get up and leave the house by 6 in the morning. Ugh. Yeah. Theater life, guys. Think before you leap. Anyway, she wrote that play. It had a world premiere, and I had a gap in my schedule. So, I took a road trip. And on a two-show day, right after the actors got out of costume and... I had set up the microphones because that's necessary for a podcast. We sat down to have a, a chat about all things Nexus, which means we talked about relationships. We talked about the District of Columbia. We talked about actor process. We talked about new plays in small towns, and we talked a lot about risotto. Risotto is important to me. Risotto is important to the play. I promise you it's not. Well, I mean, it could be fun if we're random. It wasn't random, though, so it's great. <laughs> it everybody wins if i haven't mentioned it already and it's late so i might have done the stars of the play are emma jackson and jonathan w colby uh we've talked to emma before you should check out her episode she's a fantastic person and a great actress and jonathan is a great counterpart to her and they were wonderful together in this play and i really hope that we can bring nexus to a dc stage because it, the play is at least a mon- as much about uh, DC and the thorny relationship that people have with a city that they can love as it is about people having thorny relationships with each other and that kind of love. Uh, it's a great play, and we got a chance to really dig in, and I really enjoyed that part of it because I don't get to do that very often. On the show, we usually talk career, but this time we actually got a chance to have a, like a work of art that we could really like all... <laughs> get into together. I have no idea what that sound was, and I deeply apologize if it shows up on the podcast, but as I mentioned, this is take 12, and I have to get out the door in six hours. So, warts and all, that's me, that's why you're here. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, the stars of Daniel Molman's Nexus, Emma Jackson, and Jonathan Colby. Sorry, it was there again. Please enjoy this episode, and don't hold this intro against me too much. That's our own personal thing going back to. Yeah. I think we did talk about that on my podcast. We sure did. Does this podcast have a theme song? Not yet. But I am thinking of commissioning a friend of mine to do it because he's a composer and that's kind of what he does. He goes to Manhattan School of Music right now. Okay. He's mostly into church music. (laughs) So a lot of like plagal cadences. Hangs in by the stage door. <laughs> Memory full. Oh no, we're gonna have to roll without a backup here, y'all. Oh boy. Let's. Uh, I'm nervous about that as well. And holy cow. Do I want to just set my iPhone on record? Yeah, sure. Will you? Oh shit. Plug it in. Plug so it that in. I don't run out of battery. Hold on. It doesn't I reach very... to the table. Voice memos recording. I hope we're recording over this. I think we're recording over this. Whatever it was. The world's longest voice memo. (laughs) The memory. Oh, wait. Yeah, no, memory's full. That's super lame. Leave it on the table. It can't hear from this far. It can only hear me. Well, let's move the table then. 
That's good radio right there. <laughs> That's just fantastic radio. All right, there you go. Jess. Exit by the stage door. He's more of a trombone player, but uh, <laughs> that is uh, something I'll throw to him. Okay. We'll, we'll talk about the choral nature of what I want to have under the intro, uh, distracting people from the sound of my voice late night in my living room as I try not to wake anybody. That's my favorite part of the podcast is when when Aaron's like, "Hey, everybody." everyone's asleep and I'm outside and it's really cold and oh no what am I doing okay we're gonna listen to a podcast do you have like 12 roommates he does that every single beginning of every podcast I live with my family my (laughs) aunt and uncle and my grandma and my two cousins and uh they, they recently moved me out of the porch because it was so cold out there so now I'm in the living room which the reason I was in the porch in the first place was because I wouldn't disturb people when I was recording audio but uh that's not how that worked out Mm. I think David has a delivery David's for you. David's here. David is here with. Uh, he brought snacks. He brought, he brought snacks. snacks. Because. <laughs> thank you. Waters. Oh my gosh. Waters. Working. I knew. Oh hey, thank you. David Snyder, best artistic director in the whole world. Oh my god. Oh, an entire <laughs> head of celery. <laughs> oh, that's just fantastic. Oh, oh there. Oh thank yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, Zatar we'll say nothing homage. but good things about you. <laughs> what? Perfect podcast host. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> see, this is uh, this is Celery, awesome. Celery, that is the perfect. Oh, I've been blessed with the person in the co-op that I bought it from. Uh huh. As she was sort of bringing him out, was like, I love Maxis. I really love the co-op. Oh, sweet, excellent. So, did you get the celery for free? No. The, <laughs> the co-op endorses Nexus? Yeah, the co-op said, yay, that, the Nexus. Yay. That's so great. I love it. Oh, my gosh. I will stop eating celery. <laughs> you know, I can always mute your channel when I think it's too bad. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, so, the Nexus, that is actually a perfect transition into what mm-hmm. we were really here to talk about, which mm-hmm. is that we are in Cambridge, New York, mm-hmm. along with Emma and Jonathan. Hello. To- to talk to the two people who brought Nexus to life for its world premiere up here in really, really obscure corner of New York. It's lovely up here. Gorgeous. We're having the time of our life, actually. (laughs) We get to hunker down and work on this little play, um, this tight little package of a play. And then go sledding. Did you have you really gone sledding? Yeah, we, we did went yesterday. sledding yesterday. That's, That's why we're so tired. <laughs> <laughs> she woke up this morning. She's like, "I'm sore, but in a good way." It's like it's probably because you climbed a hill seven times yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's actually really awesome. The snow here is picturesque, and it mm-hmm. is extremely substantial. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, substantial and very cold. Um, mm-hmm. Really cold. I walked out of my hotel room this morning because I forgot my charger in the car because. Mm-hmm what you do and my hair was still wet and by the time I walked back in to the hotel in order to have their free breakfast uh my hair had actually frozen like I could that's yeah. my favorite is when the hairs inside your nose freeze it's a great feeling that's your favorite yeah I've been searching for your favorite for a month now <laughs> that's it that's it <laughs> oh, next to last day that's that's one to learn something <laughs> crucial like that yeah. what to do with that is what remains to be said. <laughs> well you've got two more performances to figure it out so I don't know what kind of a method actor you may or may not be. Mm. We can bring that into the performance challenge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, um, being up here sort of in the corner of the middle of nowhere, 
um, is actually, I think, a perfect place for a play to develop. Um, you know, especially a play like this, you know, which, you know, three weeks ago was a very different play. Um, and it really needed a trustworthy um are you calling yourself director. trustworthy? No, I'm saying the community. <laughs> the, yes. Yeah. 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 A trustworthy community, a trustworthy director, and a trusting uh, um, group of, of artists uh, to come together in a place that feels safe and, mm-hmm. and have the um, um, the freedom to work on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't think that without being in a place like Cambridge that we would have been able to do the work on it that, we, that we've done. Um, so... Mm-hmm. That is a thing. Yeah, it's really, really interesting how many. I mean, it's a sm- sm- converted freight depot, which is actually a really great idea for turning old, like, mm-hmm. train buildings into something useful again. Uh, the room was really not, unfortunately, for your part of it, but it was really full of people looking at what were admittedly new and incredibly raw works, mm-hmm. which in this corner of New York is fascinating. This is the first time they've done it, and so I think this has been a big experiment that hopefully Mm. will continue i know that david's very passionate about new work Mm -hmm. you know he started the cradle series in arena right yeah and um he's interested in doing that kind of work up here i don't think people really knew what to expect um because they're used to doing classics but i think it's gone pretty well so far and i think that's why they brought him here you know Mm -hmm. he applied for the job and, and he has a track record of working on hundreds and hundreds of new plays and i think a community like this which is full of artists, you know, visual artists, um, as well as performers and directors and all of that. Um, I and think writers. they were hungry for, um, for, for new works, you know, you know, Of Mice and Men is great, 12 or 15 times. Right. When it approaches <laughs> number 16, you want to see something like Nexus or yeah. play by John Katz or something like that. So. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, I feel like there's a, it's interesting being in the big city and the approach to new work in the big city is that the is sort of acknowledging that the desire for new work is there, but it kind of gets smaller communities get left out of that conversation, mm-hmm. and I think that's a really good point. Like they want new work here as well as in D.C., so there's there's demand for it, like unmet demand for new plays. And in some ways, I think it's a more positive environment than doing something in a big city. Um, you know. With a lot of the work that I've done in New York and D.C. for new work, it always ends up, well, we can do a workshop. We can do a reading of it. You know, we can um, get a couple people in a room and see what we have here. Um, for Nexus, we've had the amazing opportunity to take a play that that was fantastic but was a little overridden and needed a little bit of work. But, but we knew that we could do it and then put it in front of an audience and really have a product that was worth um, doing a full production of. Um, yeah. So we had the opportunity to really... Put this on display put it on exhibit um, and see what we had there and when you are in new york or in dc and you have to sell five thousand performances right with, you know 200 seats at a pop that becomes a little bit more difficult um so yeah that's interesting because I, I, I just came from ford theater we were doing the widow lincoln which is a oh. brand new play that they commissioned as part of the 150th anniversary of the assassination super weird by the way being in the room for that mm. like She's Mary Winkin is looking at the booth where Lincoln was actually shot, and you're like, oh, wow. I don't know if you can even do this play anywhere else. Yeah, but it's a unique resonance here. But it's not a too soon situation. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't seem that way. It was hilariously impossible to get people to not take photos of the booth. Like, fo- like people were just taking photos right up until, like, the curtain. 
because the booth was right there. So they're just, and if you're there during the day, the park service invites you to do it. Mm -hmm. So that was extremely interesting. Uh, so for them, not too soon, I think just, just the right amount of time uh, for them. But there's an interesting gap. And I was thinking about this, like in New York and in other places, major cities like DC and stuff like that, there's a, there's a, a gap between something that's good and something that's great. And that's fine. I mean, um, but in that, once if you're in the middle somewhere mm. in New York and DC, that just crashes to the ground mm. because your expectation for great is so high that you're so disappointed when it's not. But in developing new work, you have to be willing to process your way into that. Like nothing comes fully formed out of someone's brain. Well, okay, that's a total lie. Somebody, some people are capable of that. But in a collaborative enterprise, mm -hmm. a lot of times you have to work your way into that and there's just no patience for it. And mm -hmm. I think playwriting is probably the most true example of that. You never know what you have until you first have right. actors and you have a, a, a director and then you know the most important component at the end of the day is the audience. And without yeah. an audience, you know, you're alone in the room writing. There's no way that you're going to spew out perfection. Right. Um, so, yeah, you need it. How has the reception of this play been? Well, the co-op endorses co it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no free celery, though. <laughs> I think it's been very positive. Um, I've, we had early on when Danielle was still here, we did a lot of talkbacks. Mm -hmm. And the kinds of things people were saying were kind of blowing me away. I know I've Jonathan's heard this, well, heard this several times and was there for it. But I'll pretend I Pretend like you don't. <laughs> um, there was a woman who was sitting in the front row. W one of the... I'll go back real quick. One of the things that we were really concerned about was this seems like a very young, hipstery DC play. And so how are the good people of Cambridge, who are nowhere near DC, um, of all different ages, going to receive this play? You know, it's about people, you know, 20-somethings. And what kind of blew us away was like, it didn't matter how old you are, people... Mm, what's the word I'm looking for? People liked it no matter how old they were. And they find something different, you know, depending mm -hmm. on what they're bringing in yeah. in their own lives and their own experiences and relationships. And and the one of the things that really blew me away was there's this woman who'd been sitting in the front row, um, older lady, and she, in the talk back, was like, um, my husband died last year. And I was like, oh, no. And <laughs> she said, we were married for, what, 40, 40 years? years? And you brought back memories that I haven't thought of in 20 years. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> and it was okay. like, oh my gosh. Because I was, you know, and she, and we've gotten that a lot is, you know, if you're younger, you view it with sort of this optimism and, oh, what, you know, longing and what will that be like? And if you're older, we've gotten a lot of, oh my gosh, we've so been there. Or that scene was us or that, you know. Uh, and that's been really interesting. Right. There are moments in the play that um, on paper can seem sort of trivial or kind of out of nowhere, um, but they're actually important moments in the relationship of the two characters that we're exploring throughout um, the piece. And so I think people can translate that into something in their own lives and they remember the first fight where they didn't hold back mm. um, or the first time that, that you know someone admitted they were wrong. Um, or when you were in the grocery store and you realized that you don't buy jarred garlic and I do. And somehow that's important <laughs> for you. It, it, it's a, for you. Yeah, it's, yeah. For this couple, it's very important. I think every couple has those little things yeah. that 
um, that is kind of unexplainable to an outside world, but is so deeply entrenched in the way that they have built their lives together. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that if we're doing our job, we can express that that for us, this small experience is that experience for us, and that's going to trigger those um, those memories or those hopes that people have for, for their own lives and experiences. Um, and it creates a very deep well um, in the relationship, and I think connects people to the characters. I that was certainly my experience watching it. Um, <laughs> in the one I I, lo- I love it because. Uh, it's it's so full of those details, and that's that's what I I really really liked about it. Details of DC, which were really interesting, like uh, just the sh- shitting on the red line, <laughs> <laughs> and you know the, the view from the back of the Lincoln Memo- uh, Lincoln Memorial, which mm-hmm. yeah, like th- that those details, but relationship details. The first time I whatever spoiler alert, <laughs> we're talking Here about in New York. I sincerely spoiler. hope that this gets to be something that we see in DC or anywhere else because it's a fantastic play. I have to get that. I'm I'm not going to get that out of the way because I'm going to say it more than once. Mm-hmm. But uh, it only took ten minutes, so I was getting, I was getting really nervous. buried the lead. Yeah, yeah sorry about that. I'm, Edit that to the uh, beginning. <laughs> no editing here. Uh, uh, but no, the first detail right in the very beginning about uh, your walls are so blank mm-hmm. um, is mm-hmm. so true of everywhere I've ever lived. Mm. So to hear someone else's perspective on how someone else would write. A person's reaction to that being someone else's room is deeply meta and just <laughs> so really you, fascinating. Are you like terrified to bring strangers home? I'm now? already terrified to bring strangers <laughs> home. It just makes it worse. It's just really well, that much more intense. Oh my gosh, they're gonna judge me for it. I just, yeah. They're just gonna notice it. <laughs> and I love how Danielle ties that and every little moment into a different part of the play. You know. A few scenes later we're bringing up political issues we're talking about mm. gentrification mm. and then as that affects a person of Emma's characters uh, um, wealth and status versus my wealth and status in um, the community financially and otherwise um, and you know talking about blank walls what that m- kind of means to me is I don't plan on living here because I'm going to get something better mm. and I think that's something that people in our generation sort of have this thing we've grown up with of oh I can get anything that I want to as long as I work hard for it and so it's too hard to accept what we have now Um, and I think that is true for their relationship as well Mm -hmm. and that is something that throughout the course of the play they grow to understand about each other that you know that we're not perfect that we're going to find things within each other that really bother us that really get under our skin but we're better together maybe Um, maybe Maybe, yes maybe yeah (laughs) or at least we hope we can be better together you do. <laughs> I think it. Yeah. You've just gotten a little taste of the play there, actually, too, which is one of the things that's I'm so great about it. I'm trying here, I swear. It's no, I love. I, that's what. And I, I, it's gotten to the point where when I deal, when I approach a relationship drama, what I find interesting about it, and what I find, um, some what I find that drags me into it is is that relationships are naughty problems that don't always have solutions. There's. There's, uh, I mean, 500 Days of Summer is a really great example of it. Like, mm. the, the idea is, like, this doesn't necessarily have to end well to be affecting. And so when I see people in a modern relationship drama, like, people have these, like, weird fractures in themselves that you can just s- suddenly happen upon, and then things get weird really quickly. Mm. And then you pull back, and then you wonder, you have that moment where you wonder, like, 
can I be with this person? But everything else is okay. But then there's a sudden mm -hmm. flare up. Mm -hmm. So it's not nothing. Nothing about it is easy. Everything about it is earned. Mm -hmm. And in this relationship, we get to see the ways in which like the stripes are really earned, so that the final moment, as as ambiguous, I wouldn't not even having ambiguous. I think ambivalent is a better word for it. Don't tell the final moment. <laughs> I won't. People I won't spoil. People need to be surprised. I won't we'll spoil. Just do something different tonight. <laughs> <laughs> won't spoil the details. I but uh, the two people don't know at any moment. Like mm. what's what's better, being together or not being together, yeah. and they or where well, we stand I, with the other person. I love the way that you put that about you know brokenness and seeing people who who for what they really are. To me, that's what I love about this play is that the more intimate you become with someone, the more you actually know them and you will actually see what's wrong with them. Every person is broken in some way. Everyone is. There's not a perfect person out there. So when you get to that point where you figure out what's broken about that person, do you stay or do you leave? Um, or And I just find that like the crux of, all relationships I think that's really important and in intimacy life. comes in so many different forms mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah it might not come from somewhere you expect you know what I think is uh, kind of an interesting way that this play works out is that it doesn't take too long for these characters to engage physically mm -hmm. yeah um, but that is not the you know the magnum opus of their relationship oh right. we've we've coupled which is yeah. such a like <laughs> yeah which is it was such sort of the what you get like hollywood movie version is mm -hmm. like and now we're gonna sleep together yeah. the end <laughs> yes <laughs> and that's kind of the beginning of our play <laughs> right that's also what happens after happily ever after <laughs> <laughs> well no that's a, it's a great point it's also really interesting to me like in terms of community response that was mm. one of the moments where I was like okay this is yeah this is this is reality for anyone who lives almost anyone who lives in a in a city or whatever like this is or, or who's been to college recently like this is just this is just it this is yeah. like and like how are people going to so okay how are they going to receive that so casualness of it spoiler alert <laughs> it, it comes very soon in the play and she I think pushes it a little more than him pushing it, which I think is a little bit adorable. Uh, thank you. Against gender norms, and and yeah, I I always have a little bit of anxiety about that. To be honest, <laughs> if like we come in and I can tell there's youths in the audience or older people in the Youth. audience, I <laughs> I'm thinking like, oh my god, what are their parents going to think? Um, Just to put it mildly, you. You uh, engage in some uh, colorful language. Yeah, well, to... it's realistic language. Direct. Mm -hmm. That is an interesting. We'll keep going. We'll get back to that. I think the realistic language. Yes. It's realistic language. These people are alone. They're not doing this in front of other people. So, and that's what I basically have to come down to, right? It's like it's us in a room. It's not right. me saying this for someone's grandma. <laughs> <laughs> this is me saying that for him. Uh, that's so, speaking of someone's grandma that just reminds me of this great bit that Stefan Rab did um, I feel like I've told this story before to somebody I've told it to a lot of people on the podcast I don't know maybe I've told the story to a lot of people so Stefan write in if you if he's told this story before <laughs> tweet at us we're live uh, from Cambridge New York um, no um, what's the Twitter um, exit uh, exit stage door exit stage door mm -hmm. at exit stage door yes um, get on it <laughs> 
Um, Stefan Rab is this um, German TV presenter. He used to run, I don't know if the show's still on the air, but it was when I was in Germany in like 2000. It's called TV Total. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, uh, you could call it like the Daily Show, in that, but, it, but it's a little less pointedly political, but it's still mocking in tone. And it's sort of like, I don't know, like Tosh Pino and Web Soup, but with a sort of a, a smarter bent to it. Okay. So one of the man on man on the street um, interview styles that they did was they took this woman um, Gina Wild. Uh, she's a porn star, mm. um, and sh- she's a German porn star. But Gina is not a that's not a German word. It's this sort of an anglicization. So he was taking her to the street, taking the names of the streets, and be like, pronounce his name for us. And it was to all grandmothers, like it was mm. all women who are over fifty, for sure. It's like say this name for me. You know it, and they they couldn't do it. And then he's like, "Oh, well, maybe you've heard of her movies." And then he lists (laughs) (laughs) these porn titles, which are just in your face, like just aggressive as crap. And he gets to one, he gets to one of the omas, and he's like, "Yeah, it's a a bit shocking, isn't it?" She's like, "Man, in my age, we've done everything." (laughs) That's kind of the reaction we're getting to Nexus. Is I we've not had very many shocked people. I think I really yeah. underestimated. Maybe I'm the biggest prude of us all. My friend Greg came to see this show yesterday, and and last night he came back to our, our living quarters with us, um, and. It and sounds like talk- we're housed in cages. <laughs> it's actually quite the opposite. <laughs> it is quite the mansion. Um, but but he was saying that that pretty recently he had a conversation with his ninety four year old grandmother mm-hmm. who he had you know grown up with thinking she was this. You know, basically, don't a, say sucks kind of yeah, person. Oh yeah, yeah okay. don't say hell. She's basically a nun, so she's Jewish. So I don't know what <laughs> it is, but mm-hmm. um, but then all of a sudden, you, you know, this story came out of back in the 1940s. Her and her husband went to like a transvestite club in the East Village, and they were you know, you know <laughs> dancing around, and then having a great and time. And Greg says, well. Well, Grandma, you know that's not the Gladys I know, and she's like, "Who do you think I am?" Like, <laughs> like I was young once. <laughs> you know, yeah, the technology is different. Yeah, I'd, like we're on iPhones instead of uh, you know spinning the Zeppelin record backwards or whatever. You know, mm. um, you know we have a different way of being crass and yeah. and in your face, but um, but that doesn't change the generations. So. Yeah, that's yeah, and I think sort of people in other you know. Um, the older generations are interested in in how we function a little bit, you know, because they don't always get it. You know, know, I guess they can turn on the TV, but that's so far from, you know, how people actually live, you know. And yeah. Are you no, saying I, that we're hiding ourselves from our grandparents as much as they're hiding themselves from us? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of stuff that, that I'm not going to, you know, you know, drop an email to my grandma about. <laughs> Yeah, I live with my grandmother, so I, there are definitely consequences to that, going into that conversation that I don't necessarily want to engage in. Right. Yeah, you come home at two in the morning. So what were you doing? You're like, oh, just hanging out. Went to dinner. If only I had something more interesting than to tell her, yeah, I was in tech until midnight. 10 out of 12. Yeah, there you go. 10 out of 12. And speaking of, that's the other funny thing about the play that's uh, so enormously true of my life because I live in Ellicott City, Maryland. Mm-hmm. So I... I, Commuting it, in from Maryland for an hour. <laughs> My wife used to teach um, at Howard High School. Oh no, kidding! That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. I live really close to Howard High. Really, and we lived in D.C., so she had like the reverse oh, commute. So I'm familiar with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's worth it. I don't pay rent, so 
I love yeah. I love working in DC anyway. Word. Um, yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff going on, and hopefully Nexus is one of those things. Um, Let's talk about that. <laughs> Let's make that Let's happen. Let's talk about getting Nexus to DC where oh. it belongs, back home. That's why you're on the podcast, right? Oh, <laughs> that's why. There are theater makers who listen to this. Theater makers. Oh, I should. We're theater makers. We should pitch it. We and should I do listen, it ourselves. I listen we to should. it, and I'm a theater maker. There you go. Word. <laughs> Michael Dove was on. Gwydion and Sullivan was on. Jojo Roof is going to be on next week. Awesome people. Absolutely. Go to this podcast. Go. <laughs> Get in your car from Ellicott City and drive to no, this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, so we, I, I'd love to go back. Two things. Okay. One is we're going to end up with the risotto, bringing that back around. <gasps> yes. Um, but the realistic, the realistic dialogue question, which mm-hmm. I think it, because I overheard a conversation about before the show about mm-hmm. whether or not because of the uh, people were wondering about the sign outside the adult content oh yeah oh, really? there's a sign that says this play contains adult language and content yes mm-hmm. which I was like oh yeah I guess you need that sign I took it for granted that that was what the what it, it was going be. to be mm-hmm. um, but yeah I mean if you've ever heard Danielle speak she's <laughs> yes well but that's that's what was so interesting is like this this person is saying that that's not how people speak in the arts in the certain situations. Like, oh, that, boom, mm. you should join a load-in because that's exactly what we... Oh, like before they saw the play, they were mm. like, oh, there's going to be bad language in it and normal people don't use bad language. Yeah, they were talking about like whether it was realistic enough, whether these people would in these situations mm-hmm. say these things. I'm like... But they hadn't seen it yet. Right. <laughs> Do you think they would still feel that way after? I hope not. To me, it was completely realistic. I mean, as far as they knew, it's a world premiere, like... Like we could be pirates. <laughs> we could be. We're not pirates. Two pirates riding in trucks. You know? <laughs> Cowboy Ninja Vikings. Man. That's Danielle's next play. No, Danielle's writing is extremely realistic oh, in feel, the, yeah. its speech. Um, and, and yeah, these people do use the F word. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. does Danielle. She's very <laughs> filthy of mouth. <laughs> She's but the realistic right language. Now. Yes, yeah. she is. She will for, for sure be. Yes. <laughs> tweet, what I love about Danielle, defend yourself. <laughs> what I love about working on Danielle's words is that it's very realistic language. It's not how I speak, mm-hmm. but it's very, very easy to find out who these people are that you're yeah. trying to portray yeah. based mm-hmm. on how they speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it might be in 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 how they respond. Like in the last play I did of hers called Stopgap, mm-hmm. there was this whole thing about how my character would say pardon and I would never say pardon um, but but this character did and that was actually a huge insight into it and in this mm-hmm. play I say really all the time <laughs> and that's my way of of saying whatever I'm saying you know I say really and that's not <laughs> something that Jonathan says but it's so informative mm. for the character of M um, you know that that's how he you know kind of will delve deeper into a conversation um, and it's super easy to get into that and fun to play with mm. for realism purposes. <laughs> mm-hmm. I lo- that, well, I've actually dabbled in this particular type of realism um, in that I wrote a play that I didn't give the man and the woman a name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The situation is specific enough that you feel emotionally invested, mm-hmm. but it is not meant to be one person's story. It's sort of like an aggregate idea of a relationship, which is also something that I find it's it's an abstract form it's a very theatrical form but i find that it enhances the realism of it because they're because the variety of expressions is 
it, it isn't important that it's this person versus this person like that you can identify a particular place and time or whatever mm -hmm. that these people are it's much more important that they they operate on a on two levels simultaneously so like when you look at the program and it's m and w you're like ah oh, that's really cool <laughs> <laughs> right but I'm a nerd like that too. So um, someone asked me last night if it stands for man and wife. <laughs> we were like, no, Whoa. man and woman. Man <laughs> and woman. They are not married. It's like that puts something new on it. It's like, were you paying attention to the play? <laughs> oh come on. We just met each other. You take it as you will. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that one, I'm not going to go into spoilers for that one though. Uh, <laughs> but risotto. Oh. We're going to make bone marrow risotto after this. In real life. However, there was also oh. a, a part in the play. There is. I felt the need to write that sentence down. It doesn't go with the risotto? Yes. Oh, okay. I, uh, I just thought that was such a perfect summation of the way, the uneasy way that these two people belong together. Right. That I had to write it down to make sure that I wasn't going to forget it. <laughs> Just that act, the shopping list act, and the discussion around it and why I right. loved it. So what we're talking about is a scene in the play where um, NW are in the grocery store going through their shopping list and making discoveries about each other just in sort of the banality of that act. Yeah, and ingredients. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love that scene. It's a great scene. And, you know, for me, what's so hilarious about that scene is that every person that knows me that has come to see the show <laughs> thinks that I am the reason that scene's in the play. Because he is Because exactly I'm like a that. bit of an obsessive cook, you know, you know, a lot of the stuff that he would say, I would say. Um, and I had a large effect on what this play is, but that scene is not one of them. <laughs> that is Danielle. She wrote that scene. I guess maybe she had me in mind for it, but but even so, that absolutely not. I'm just going to say that now. <laughs> <laughs> that was already. I did not write intact. the Bourdain line. <laughs> I love. I love that. I mean, I I came I came by being a foodie so gradually and without actually paying attention to how it happened. I was living with. Uh, a woman and her boyfriend we both worked at the same place um, and they watched the Food Network all the time mm -hmm. we also watched a lot of Bravo there's a lot of Project Runway and um, other stuff mm -hmm. Top Chef uh, what's Top Chef one of them no it's like on Bravo right? oh Top Chef is on Bravo but that's not that's not what I was subjected to go on um, it was Sex in the City and Friends she was very into Friends we watched Buffy together we watched The Staircase together that is an amazing piece of documentary if you like cereal you should definitely check out that Staircase thing but the, like six months into watching food shows every day, I discovered like the way that I shopped for groceries had changed. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's so it's, it's, it, and it, so the foodie thing actually just feels very like that is, it's not a, it's not like a, a fault line between people, but it's definitely one of those things that you discover as you get to know a person like, Oh wow. Food attitudes can diverge dramatically these yes. days in really interesting right. ways. And how Absolutely. were you raised and you were raised doing what at dinner is a huge sure. it's those tiny intimacies you know like we talk we talk a lot about like the big scenes that happen in the play that are like really dramatic like fights and things like that but i i actually do think it's those subtle like daily intimacies that have the most impact and people really resonate with right i mean just to bring sort of like a personal spin to it my wife hates pork chops absolutely hates pork chops and the first day that i showed up for rehearsal um emma had gotten here a couple hours before and had gone out and bought pork chops 
And so I, I got he to Ursula. He was like, I can work with you. <laughs> and it was like, so are we having pork chops for dinner? Yep. Like, did you buy enough? Because at this point, I didn't know what the sort of, the, like, the, the, the dynamic. Right, like, are we going like, to eat right, food like, together? Did you buy right, pork right, chops yeah, for yeah. yourself or for us or whatever? And, <laughs> but then, like, as I was, like, you know, eating this delicious pork chop that Emma made, like I kind of felt like I was cheating on my wife. Oh God! You know, don't in this weird that, way. Ew. No, <laughs> but because of like your food, how deep food relationships. Go. Yeah, because absolutely. Every, because everybody has to eat. It felt like mm-hmm. you know, yeah. strange to be sitting across the table from somebody. You know, eating a food that she would never eating eat. eating a food that mm-hmm. she will not touch. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, so you know, that kind of brings it around to what you were. Th- kind of saying is that you know there can be things in a relationship that are food-based because everyone has to mm-hmm. eat mm-hmm. Um, that can really expose other deeper um, m- more nuanced details about who you are and how you were raised and and what is important to you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah intimacy is a really interesting part of this play as well mm-hmm. um, and I feel like that's one thing that was really great about the freight depot at Hubbard Hall mm-hmm. is a tiny room mm-hmm. a tiny room you're like in your lap at at several parts definitely debated whether (laughs) or not i should be in the front row or in the back Mm -hmm. when i when i saw how big the space was uh i came down on the side of embracing the intimacy of the space Mm -hmm. i felt like i also felt like a friendly face in the front row wouldn't hurt mm-hmm. at all in case things mm-hmm. were going south, which they did not. That was very well we received. We don't go south. We rock. <laughs> it was good. It was really, really good. But yeah, there was definitely times like, oh, wow. Yeah, they're right there. That's mm-hmm. And that's what the play, that's what play making about is about. But that's what this play is about. Mm-hmm. The way that you, it is about intimacy and little intimacies and like, the because it's little vignettes as they happen across the stage mm-hmm. the audience doesn't necessarily know when you're going to be close to them and when not like the lights go down and then all of a sudden the scene is starting and all of a sudden oh 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 they're two feet from me okay mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> voyeuristic is a word that got thrown around a lot in the talkbacks mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. um i shouldn't be watching this right yeah, yes. a, little yeah. Bit, <laughs> yeah. a little bit a little bit well and i who who directed this? David. 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 David, David okay. Snyder, the artistic director of Hubbard Hall Arts Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, well, he directed it really well, at least from the mm-hmm. seat that I was in. Um, to add to the voyeurism and the intimacy, there's a lot of strong diagonals, mm-hmm. that, and there's a lot of like one act, one actor back turned. Mm-hmm directing your attention to the other person's face there's only two of us i know (laughs) so i mean but that i mean that to to me having so there was stuff before that Mm -hmm. and then there was oh Uh this is a reminder of what really good people do with assembling bodies in space and Mm -hmm. directing your attention and so there are definitely times from my vantage point where like you were in the far corner of the room or you were in the far corner of the room and my attention was directed there by by the back and forth, and then like eye contact happened, right between, you know that kind of accidental eye contact that always happens in that's one of the great things about theater, mm-hmm. and that just draws you further into the scenes. Like, uh, <laughs> it becomes unsettling. It doesn't let you stay comfortable with like just pretending that this is away from you. Mm-hmm. You're in it with them, and you have to take a side. I think like. I think, can we talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. That's a yeah. big one, is the taking sides between M and W. Is there, 
early on, so I've been working with Danielle on this play for since the beginning um, when it was at Arena's uh, mm-hmm. uh, Playwrights Arena. And um, there was a lot of talk about do people like W? M is do people like M? And we've discovered through this process that we'll have a whole audience where I can just feel it. They are in his side. Or then the next night, you know what? They're kind of, they're on my side too. Like, <laughs> so it's interesting because, oh, and your friends last night. Yeah. Right? Okay, yeah. tell, because that's a perfect they example. They came into the dressing room to, um, just to visit with us after the show, <laughs> and they hadn't had the chance to talk about it or digest it or anything like that. And then they were on completely different sides, and they turned to each other. It's like, what do you think? Yeah, he was like, how dare you? Yeah, he, he was like, she's crazy, and she was like, like, no, I totally got it. And they immediately were looking at each other. It was like, oh. And, and then he looks at me, you know, and, like, and like I looked at her and was like, yes, yes. And I'm like, we shouldn't be doing this. We're, all, we're gonna be fighting. But because they had to drive home back to oh, New York yeah. three hours together, and I'm, I can only imagine with. That was with those differing opinions on what they had just seen. <laughs> are you are you guys movie? Have you seen? Have you had a chance to see Force Majeure? No. The Swedish movie about like it's, it takes place at a at a French ski resort and like there's an avalanche that gets really really close to them when they're sitting outside at lunch and then what the husband does and then what the conversations about what the husband does do to the people the couple that they're listening to so this is like this ripple effect from one man's choice leads to another couple breaking up (laughs) because of the sides that they took when they heard is that about the choice in the avalanche metaphor uh no i well oh that's an interesting question um Mm -hmm. well i I haven't even seen the movie well okay so so (laughs) the the way that the movie is structured is like um i don't know why did i like, we're talking about Nexus, and all of a sudden we're just talking about a fucking Swedish movie. Swedish indie film. Um, but it, it, it's it's punctuated by each day. So it's like a six-day ski vacation. At the end of each day is the snow crew at night setting deliberately setting off avalanches. Uh-huh. So it's the booms of the explosives and the snow plows going up. So the avalanche metaphor is continuous <laughs> in the movie. It's always reminding you about repercussions of like pounding away at you. Right. But One thing leads to another, et cetera. To talk about how it impacts like the couples that watch the show, because we definitely, you can sense it. You mm. can feel when a couple is having a moment while you're having a moment. Yeah, definitely. Right? And then during the talkbacks, you know, Ooh. the wife raises the hand and says something. The husband, you know, looks at her like, what did you just say? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> like, don't bring that up. You know? That kind of stuff. Well, and it made me think about, um, Jonathan, when you and Danielle were talking about when you worked on Lungs, that you had a very similar um, experience with watching couples Yep. React. Well, I was understudying lungs at the studio theater, um, and there are some similarities between, um, you know, it's a two-person play between a man and a woman, um, and about their relationship. And there were certain elements of the show where, because I was there all the time, because I was understudying, it was right. terrifying. And it's sort of in three quarters, and so I could oh. see the audience members across. And, you know, in the scenes that I was pretty good on, I would kind of tune out and watch the audience a little bit. Um, and you know there was these scenes where they were talking about potentially having a baby and the girlfriend would like put her head on the guy's shoulder and he'd be staring straight ahead (laughs) eyes bugging out and I'd be like okay and apparently according to Danielle there were multiple couple fights in the lobby (laughs) like like big like outrageous ugly couple fights that's what the that's just thinking that (laughs) 
And if theater can do that, how awesome is that? (laughs) Right? Let's break people up with art. I don't think we've had any fights. Well, actually, maybe last night, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's phone him in. (laughs) (laughs) How are you guys doing today? Tell us how it went. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That would be amazing. That would take it to another level. I don't know if I'm equipped technically for that part, but um, (laughs) you could listen. Listen to us listening to them. That would also be great radio. Yes, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Don't let it be said that theater doesn't need to exist, if only to break up the people who don't belong together in the first place. <laughs> that's or, probably... It sort of accelerates the process in that's love. inevitable. Yeah. You yeah. guys. Or, yes, theoretically that, that absolutely, too, because, because the other side of things is, is yes, during, during that show and during... Um, you know, this show, there are times where you're looking at couples that are not on the same page, but then there's also the other side of that, you know, which is you see people allowing themselves to connect through the experience of watching something mm-hmm. like this, um, where they see a couple or not a couple or whatever we are at that point in the play, um, trying to work th- through something that is difficult and very intimate. And it, for certain relationship dynamics could give people the spark that they need to you know take a plunge that they were scared to take before um and that's equally special and important yeah yeah thanks i and i love that the play in in a large part is about navigating the difficulty of the unclarity of situations like the the whatever the emotional reality is putting putting a name on it has consequences but which name it is has consequences Mm -hmm. and is it time for that or is it not time for that or Mm -hmm. or or what like letting the reality be of the emotional connection is almost never enough there's always something Mm -hmm. and that push and pull between the people where they are and that decision making is and that moment where you where you realize that the other person is hiding something from you and you didn't even know that it was a thing and then all of a sudden through some crazy banal conversation it comes out you know those are the true moments that we deal with in relationships and how you deal with that sort of defines who you are and who you are as a uh, as a person who relates to the other person uh, it's a special little piece mm-hmm. you were about to say something before I looked like I was also about to say something which well, is why we- I, I don't know if I was. It's a standoff. But something about this play is that Danielle has written a lot of small parts of the play where there's no lines written. It's just mm. the character name and then da da da. And mm-hmm. so we're imbuing those with, you know, these looks and that kind of stuff. And that's kind of what I was doing. So it Very well, I might add. It doesn't work so well on radio, though. <laughs> it's true. I, yeah. I, I didn't. And I also was. Uh, I didn't let it land the way that I... I didn't yes and you very well in that <laughs> moment is, is what it comes down to. It was more of a yes what. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that topic... Um, no, I, I, one of the things that's really interesting about the play, um, like the, the tagline about it is love in the age of, an, of the iPhone. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the meet cute, of course, happens over the over the iPhone sure mm-hmm. which is hilarious um totally lives up to its moniker um but the i mean and i'm sure this has something to do with the budget of the production in that you're using either your personal phones or something like it mm-hmm. on stage to don't do what wor- you need. don't worry actors equity they are in fact renting it from us <laughs> yep. okay okay Just that's fair that out yes. there. Yes. <laughs> i'm i you are 
correctly credited as being um, there (laughs) as a result of actors' equity. Um, So thank you for that uh, detail. Small glimpse into the details of the world of hiring equity actors. You have to be careful about their personal property and using it in a show. Uh, (laughs) We've done a good job so far. (laughs) (laughs) But but I think that's really interesting because usually devices like that are inoperable. Right. Like Mm. they're deliberately made... Um, they're you know they're purchased or whatever they're not useful things that can connect to a network or actually take pictures mm-hmm. yeah, uh, right so we were actually taking pictures of each other and during that one scene. yeah and yes. you needed the sound effect so like normally that would have been done someone someone cueing the sound guy like here's right. the sound effect you yeah. need to time it with their button but first of all we're only like eight feet away from you in the first place so I can definitely tell where that sure. sound effect came from and it would take you out if all of a sudden the phone rings over a speaker yes or, you know yes especially yeah. in a theater like this because we talked about we obviously had the option to use sure sound effects through the speakers and we didn't and want like, to do no. that well we had like a 20 minute freak out where you know we were trying to figure out how to do ring. this this phone ring and be like it's gonna take me out as an actor you know I'm mean a diva that's me not you <gasps> are you me, calling me a diva? me not you <laughs> me not you speaking for myself <laughs> speaking for myself uh-huh. um, and uh-huh. and uh, and I was like no no I, no I just don't know if I can do it it's, it's stressing mm. me out but it's but it's really really rewarding because we do too. have to cue most of the sound effects ourselves yeah and uh, you know before we go on stage our, our wonderful stage manager Kira is like are your phones ready mm-hmm. are they on airplane you have mode just have yeah. it set up it has to be on airplane mode is the volume up yep is Siri off Yo, God, oh, that's the worst. It's there during a dress rehearsal. Siri started talking <laughs> because like my phone was, was just on the bench, and I just kind of leaned on it, and I pressed the home button, and then you're in this very emotional, intimate moment, and Siri's Siri like, "Can available. I help you? <laughs> Connect to the internet." That's awesome. Siri finds a way to be irritating in in any situation. But yeah. what's funny is that since that moment where I was like, okay, I have to figure out how to turn turn Siri off, which you can do by going into settings. I haven't turned her back on. And I don't miss her. <laughs> it's kind of a you've stupid... left Siri for Nexus. I have. I left Siri for Danielle and Emma and W. <laughs> totally worth it. Totally. Yeah, she always puts you off when you ask her like to marry you and stuff like that. She's always she's very coy about that kind of thing. Siri. Yeah. Yeah. And then you need her to do something. She doesn't do anything. No, she does not. She does not. I've always thought there should be like 10 people who work for Apple whose sole job is to sit around a table and be like, what can we make Siri do today? But Siri still can't do much. Well, and the Wolfram Alpha. Okay, so we're totally squirreling here, but this is fascinating. Uh, Wolfram Alpha, like the guys who invented Mathematica, tried to create a search engine that actually, if you ask it a question that has a solution that's a then it produces a solution, not a search about how mm. you need to come up with a solution. So it's like, what is... You know, what is the GDP of France? And instead of coming up with a bunch of articles that reference the GDP of France, the GDP of France shows up. Right. Which is what I want Siri to do. I don't want you to search the web for the Here's GDP of France. <laughs> Which of these links with with all garbledly gooky text do you want me to click on? I was like, well, actually, you can't click on anything because you're not a person. So I have to do it. I could have done that anyway. So I don't miss her. No, I don't either. I don't. And she ruined our dress rehearsal. <laughs> Ruin it. That's you, Siri. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you like to talk, Aaron, about difficult uh, rehearsal processes. Siri was a total <laughs> jerk. 
Did you see? I just edited myself. You did. You did. I saw yeah. you for. You were about to say another word, <laughs> but you did not. Yeah. Siri was no good. We got. We were talking about divas. Yeah, that was Siri. To- such yeah. a diva. Like oh, just God. in the middle of this. Oh, like the she, like, worst possible moments too. Yeah. Yeah. Siri not available. Siri can it's go even fuck worse. Like, yeah. <laughs> she's, she interrupts to indicate that she is not available. Like that's the worst. Like you're not even engaging with what we're doing here, Siri. Like why are you even in the room? Get out. <laughs> Uh, we can still turn the robots off, so we should enjoy that. Well, we can. Um. <laughs> that was a terrifying thing that uh, Stephen Hawking said. I know. Right? Oh, it wouldn't, wouldn't, no. What did he say? What? He, I mean, I'm not going like to try to quote ago? Stephen Hawking, but... Uh, in but he's such a nice guy in the theory of everything. Again, you're a movie guy. I have not seen it. I've been in Cambridge. Um, I don't even know where the movie theater is. Yeah. It's in uh, Bennington. Okay. He oh. knows. So, um, but he basically said that, yep, we're going to die by, by sentient Artificial robots. Artificial intelligence is going to take it's over. He's like, why can't we just turn them off? He's like, because you will lose. That's just what is going to happen. Um, so, you know, I've come to terms with it. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's yeah. uh, good. You know, Sharenkov radiation. Mm. <laughs> and and we're all gonna die. That's, exactly. That's very inspiring. But while we can, we should turn Siri off in our rehearsals. Mm-hmm. Maybe our whole phones, unless you're rehearsing Nexus. And then it becomes a useful prop, which I think also was. I don't know. I don't know where you could go with that, but um, mm-hmm. I do think it's interesting. The connectivity that it implies—that's part of the modern life—should be embedded in the experience of watching it. Mm-hmm. Sure. In a way. And not should be. It would be interesting to explore how to make that happen. I'm f- I'm always fascinated by transmedia, which is part of the reason I'm doing podcasts and stuff like that. Are you implying that the audience would like tweet to us how we were doing as we go? <laughs> I, I am implying that there should be an Instagram account that would be really interesting of the portraits that are taken during the show, or right. like a playlist so mm-hmm. that like you could hear the music. I understand the choice. There um, is there is a playlist oh, there on is Spotify. Go to yeah. Spotify Nexus playlist. It's actually quite good. It was what Danielle was listening to while she was writing it. Mm-hmm. Yes. But it's really kind of, you know. It's great. It, it's transferred from that to something. I mean, I mean, Emma listens to it before every performance. And sometimes I'm like, can you unplug your headphones? Because I, you know, I need a little bit of that. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> true. And uh, no, it's fantastic. It, it actually really does capture the mood of the piece. And, uh, you know. Every once in a while, there's a lyric in in a particular song that, that comes up and just mm-hmm. it just drops you in. Mm-hmm. Um, something that and there's the scene in the play where the two of them are listening to music together on on her headphones, and something that um, someone said in a talk back that I thought was pretty interesting is that you can take the iPhone away and put a record player there or a Victrola. Oh, interesting. Or, or a, Walkman, a tape deck, or, or something like that, and then all of a sudden, it's the same scene. It's it the same matter. scene. The mm-hmm. connection is the same, yeah. even though the technology has changed. You know, at the end of the day, these people still have to connect to one another. It's right. still that concept of here. This is something I love. Mm-hmm. What do Sharing you think? It with you. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a very. I, I, it reminded me instantly of High Fidelity because I'm a movie nerd. Um, but I'm going to start counting how many movies That's you mentioned. Awful. Um, that's, it was on Broadway. That's terrifyingly. <laughs> it's a movie. It doesn't need to be m- musical on stage. Uh, but it, it's a really. This is a theater podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in the separation of church and state, and theater. Movies and theater, <laughs> movies and theater often do a, and accomplish different things. Um, I'm definitely a snob on that. Well, you subject. didn't see Annie. 
I did, I did not. <laughs> I did not. I didn't either. <laughs> I refuse. Uh, not that I, well, that's a yeah rabbit hole. I don't want to go down just yet. But the high, high fidelity thing I thought was really interesting too because the ultimate lesson of high fidelity and what's so interesting in that moment is, yes, you're sharing something about who you are by trying to expose them to something that you like and you think that they will like, but that isn't the accepting or rejection of that mm-hmm. thing isn't what isn't the make or break moment. That's what's so interesting. It's the offer that matters. You'd be like, oh, you hate this, don't you? Yeah, I kind of do. Um, <laughs> but that's okay because I'm glad that you put enough thought into it to actually offer it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a part of me in that scene I've been playing with throughout the run and through the rehearsal process where we're listening to a song um, that I offer to her and she hates it and then she offers a song to me and my lines are that I love it but I've played with the idea of like what do I really think mm-hmm. and what you know she's straight up with me the music that you gave me sucks I hate it, <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> and then she plays a song for me which you know it actually is a specific song that's out there in the world I it's on the Nexus playlist. I won't tell you which one. Uh, <laughs> you have to come see the play to find that out. Yes. Well, I thought for a second that it was a Pearl Jam song, and I thought that was hilarious for oh. two seconds. It was but, not uh, a Pearl Jam song, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the line used to be, who is this? Mm. And the response was, daughter. And then she changed the line to, what is this? this yes. And the song was... And the answer was daughter. <laughs> so it's like, oh, hey. Don't call me daughter. That's right. I was like, wow. <laughs> no. W just w. got really interesting. Yeah. She would never listen oh, she, to that. Right. But <laughs> I can so, see as an audience member how that is a terrifying that, moment. That's it's actually like, much closer to Stephen Merritt, 99 Love Songs, which is what yeah. he plays for her. It's true. Yeah. Mm. Well, well, yeah. But that is, that's an interesting moment, too, because uh, like I have certainly... Speaking of like, what do you say to a person who's exposing you to something new? Because the answer isn't just about honesty. Right. It's about mm. sort of it's it's like a chess match. You need to see like yes. three three moves ahead here. It's a test. It you know really is. But, really, why you guys? Yes. You can't just say how you feel. No. I don't think so. No. 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 Why not would if, we? Not if you're afraid of the consequences. And not if you want to sleep with it. Yeah, absolutely. Like. <laughs> This is this is gamesmanship. You have to think clearly about whether it's acceptable to say no. I don't like it. But I, I, right. oh my gosh, this is why you have problems later on. You have to be honest from the beginning, because they're gonna find out eventually. You might as well tell them you hate it. Right, but well, even if you do find out eventually, you know a couple of things might have happened between then and now that, at very minimum, were enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like if there's a ring on your finger, it really doesn't matter that I actually don't like that band at all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Like I'll tell you on our wedding night. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Bait and switch. Uh, but the funny thing is, the what what I've actually found is the opposite has happened to me. In that, like, I was definitely lying when I said that I liked it. But the repeated exposure to it ended up me. Eventually, I really did like it. it, mm-hmm. it in, because. It's imbued with that person. Yes, exactly. And then, then you start to hear. I, I mean, it takes me a long time to get into music anyway. Like, I can't just hear a song, and, or especially not an album. Like, I can't know if I like the album until I've heard the album like 10 times. Mm-hmm. And I can I understand its vocabulary, and I, I can get to the nuances of this stuff like that. Like, even if it's a legitimately great album. Like, I didn't just dive into like whatever great album you want me to name, like mm-hmm. Radiohead Kid A or like Black, Black Messiah, D'Angelo, if you're on that side of things, or anything the Roots have ever done. Like, okay. 
Okay. I hate Radiohead. <laughs> I totally understand that, I though. Always I always have. And, and I've lost friendships over that. <laughs> I really have. I totally get hating them. Don't get like yeah. like I said the first seven times. I absolutely hate it. When I was in high school, I had multiple people burn me CDs of uh, not Kid A. What's the other one? I mean, there's several. Uh, okay, computers. The other one that I'd be able to share with you. Yeah. Yeah. So there, like, multiple people burn me copies. Okay, computer. And so I have in one of those old like CD binders, like, okay, computer from Iran. Okay, computer from. I don't even remember these people's names because the friendship is over because I couldn't get through two songs of it. And, 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 and like, that's my problem. It's my well, fault. Well, I'm sure well, it's wonderful music. Well, but that's my exposure. The reason I kept going back to Radiohead was because my girlfriend had given me the CD. Right. <laughs> so it's like, I can't, yeah. there's no disconnecting from this. Well, she wasn't my girlfriend at the time. That was a weird thing. Uh, but then you're stuck with music that you can never listen to again, too. If, like, on mm -hmm. the flip side, this person introduced you to this band and you would listen to it together all the time and it didn't end well, then you're never, you can never listen to that again. Mm -hmm. That happened to my roommate with the Beatles. Oh my god! Well, that's a pretty unfortunate oh. one to choose. Yeah. It, uh, they, At least they're not on Spotify. That's true. <laughs> Can't stumble upon it accidentally on yeah. Spotify. That's, that's absolutely true. I guess. What they, happened? Uh, they got really close to being married and then like, like really close to being married and then like to the point where they'd chosen a wedding song which was, a it was Beatles the Beatles <laughs> was it in my life no it was oh. here comes the sun oh okay and that uh, then it fell apart and then she couldn't listen to that never but again. that's like one of the best ones <laughs> like, but that's 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 a George isn't it yeah yeah my heart is broken <laughs> she's happily married to somebody else now so oh, okay. bring it back <laughs> Bring it back into you the can't. fold. It, it comes it's gone. Too much. Yeah, it's absolutely gone. Yeah, that's gonna make me cry. No, it's not. <laughs> okay, it's not. But I'm very sad. See, I'm I'm all I'm in the camp of just say how you actually feel. Yeah, we know. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Jonathan. He's had too much honesty. <laughs> I what, I think this is really interesting though. Uh, the, okay, well, you know, we're, we'll, go, we'll go to Mark Maron, what the fuck territory, WTF territory, right? Uh -huh. So, like, it was high emotional stakes because I think this matters to, to me. And, like, it, it's, it's as a guy, I feel like, and who fuck if I know if this is, like, legit or whatever, mm -hmm. but this is my experience, and I am a guy, so I'm going to, whatever. Go for we'll, it. We'll roll with that. Here um, it comes. But it's like what we were talking about earlier. It, I am needing a particular line of I, I see where I want it to go mm -hmm. so I am terrified of the consequence of going in the wrong direction so I have I feel like I can't be like if I'm honest in the wrong way I'm afraid of the consequences which is perverse and not necessarily like it's it's I mean, it's it's not good. I'm not saying that's normal or whatever. I don't know. No, I have no idea where I where I wanted this conversation to go. Um, what and it's you're saying is you're a person who is lucky enough to actually have a filter. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us were born without one, but, and we've just had to learn to live. But filters are what gets you in trouble later down the road. I mean, like it can. I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's the classic example, like the Seinfeld. You know, George. You know, says he's an architect. It's like if he gets into a relationship with this person, like clearly she's going to figure out that he's not an architect and but in the moment those consequences seem seem so far down the road that you'll deal with that later <laughs> um 
And I think that that's some some form of male neurosis, autism. <laughs> I, I don't even know. Wait, are you saying males are inherently not truthful? I think men are often goal oriented in a way that sure. makes the truth negotiable. <gasps> Or relative. Or relative, yeah. yeah. More, yeah. And I'm not sure if that's uh, that's any different than, than women. What? <laughs> I think it's more case by... Maybe I should sure. stay for the second show tonight. Like, <laughs> like, I think it's be, more... Yeah. Potentially, and I hope it is, way more case by case than we're defining. No, yes, absolutely. Okay, yeah, yeah. the problem is that there's two guys here and me, and well, I, my feet are firmly in the honesty is the best policy camp, but not all. I'm not all I'm women. In that, that I'm in that camp, camp for but, sure. But 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 do I, you know, pay my tenant fees? Probably not. Yeah. Am, <laughs> I, yeah. am I capable of it in right. the moment when, yeah, the mm. answer is yeah. not always. Yeah, I, yeah, I pitch my tent, you know, different places oftentimes when and that's not really you know the best choice you know i'm not saying it's a admirable quality well to segue a little bit back to nexus <laughs> this is everything this is absolutely yeah, it's true yeah. um <laughs> when danielle and i were talking about this play several several months ago one of the things she said to me that was really formative in the way that i've approached w is she always tells the truth she doesn't and and, and M often tells the truth too, and I think that's one of the things that makes them compelling is that they they do tell the truth, and not that they're not hiding things. There's definitely things being hidden, but what they say out of their mouths is generally true. Do you think that? Do you agree I with agree. that? Do you think that's um, still the case? But I also think that that truth and lying are not necessarily verbal. Um, mm -hmm. that you can mm -hmm. hide truth in a way that isn't lying or being dishonest, but can actually be more damaging, just hiding truth. Um, I mean, there are things that if W would come out and say them would probably have a really positive effect. You know, if she, if she could express what's wrong, you know, tell me what's wrong. I want to know. And she was able to do so. They might be able to work something out that, that takes years when it should take one minute and i think that's kind of the flip side of it sins of omission mm. right i mean like people come in with their baggage and sometimes it comes up and sometimes we you know hide from it because we're not comfortable um sharing that mm -hmm. and oh, while that's not, not lying, like he doesn't leave things out either it absolutely does absolutely okay yeah it's a process of discovery. <laughs> We're discovering things every moment. I'm happy to facilitate that, uh, among the other things that I'm facilitating, which is hopefully another production of Nexus. Yeah, I think we yes. need to go back into rehearsal. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, so to be fair, um, this is a very quick rehearsal process. Oh, yeah, yeah. Six days, you said? Six, six re rehearsals. Six rehearsals. Six yeah. rehearsals, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I think David had a lot of faith in us. No, he did. He, he had to. Um, yeah. I mean, we had, and we did have two days, two days, was it? At, two days. Of workshop at March. Arena back in March. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. We were both in that. So we had met right. each other before. But most of the rehearsal process was interrogating the play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Seeing what, what Danielle was trying to say. and. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's still a lot of discoveries going on Absolutely. all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I found stuff today, mm -hmm. like big things. I was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> yeah. 
I was just blindly saying that with no intention behind it for the last two weeks. Not really. But you know Everything I, mean. I say yeah. is specific and perfect. <laughs> <laughs> this is usually why I root for the W in all of these situations. I'm you root, you're on Team W? Yeah, absolutely. <gasps> really? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. He's Can you tell me why? <sighs> what do you mean why? She's awesome. <laughs> um I'm I'm speechless. He's so used to everyone being team M. Well, really? Well, you know, th- 4 weeks ago you had to be on team M. No. Be- because she was worse and he was no, a saint. She, no, he was a saint. He was she a was saint. The same. Okay. We spent the entire re- rehearsal process I would say to Danielle I was like we need to knock me down a few notches because I was just kid gloves. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, and I think we've done that. Oh, I think you've accomplished that that's one of the most important things in in this situation is to have make sure that there are warts exist right. on both sides mm-hmm. absolutely they're the, real people yeah exactly yeah, the, yeah. P- the play used to have you know you know 25 instances of me like kissing her on the forehead and basically saying it's all going to be okay and that's all gone yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. you know now you know i i'm not always going to give her permission to you know say everything's okay um when it's not well that would have been a different kind of tyranny it wouldn't mm-hmm. necessarily mm-hmm. have been mm-hmm. better. You're right. That's very true. But but, but please, I I, I, I want to hear it. Um, I I definitely had that thought, particularly during the during the show too. It's like oh, I definitely I'm definitely on her side uh, on most of this stuff. Um, it makes me so. Happy. It shouldn't. Okay, you guys. I totally made a <laughs> pact with David and and Danielle. I told them after the first talk back where people were really negative about her. I was like. I'm not going to care if people like her or not. I get her, and I'm just going to do it, and I don't care. But secretly, (laughs) you do. Not so secret anymore. Yeah, I know. I just got outed. That's why I had to put that caveat out there, is I will will perform for anyone regardless of how they feel about her, but yeah. Well, it's, um, I think a lot of it has to do, how do I put this? I mean, I, I immediately go to postal service and like nothing better. In the back and forth between Jenny Lewis and whatever his name is, I always forget. I don't care. Um, uh, there's it's a, it's about perception. Mm-hmm. I think she perceives the situation emotionally more clearly than he does. Mm. <laughs> um, I, and I think that's like I, there are definitely moments when I'm when I felt like he doesn't understand why he wants to be with her. It can't express it can't put it to her can't express it mm-hmm. um although to be a devil's advocate a romantic would say why do you have to know why you want to be with them you just want to be with them that's true and that's of course why i'm not a romantic <laughs> <laughs> she's uh, well i actually would say that i think she's very pragmatic i yes, think he is yeah. very romantic i think that's part oh, of it yeah. yeah i think he is for sure and that over heels yes and i i have very little sympathy for that point of view and i think that's what it comes down to like there's no, it's mm-hmm. not that there i i think you're making really great choices and i think to 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 make him come alive with that and to feel like they like you if you if you don't believe that they on some level belong together the play won't work for you and i think you both have manage that the the chemistry that connection extremely well but if, if you're if you're forcing me to pick sides in 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 like the guy who has a romantic view of the world versus a woman who's much more honest honest with herself even if she can't like articulate it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i'm 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 generally just going to side with the person who who is clear or eyed about it and that's not yeah that's but at the same time you were rooting for them as a unit I, that developed 
over the course of the show. Um, I, I really, I was like, oh, they're going to break up. After the risotto line, it was like, ah, it's, it's, and it's okay. <laughs> it's over. It's okay if, it, if it's over because they're just completely incompatible. But as The it, as power it, of the arboreal race. <laughs> <laughs> but no, as the show goes on, I definitely found myself like, there is a, there is a connection between these two, and I, 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 I don't know how it ends. And We won't tell you. Yeah, and yeah. Audience. Let's Not. actually, okay, so if you want to talk about the risotto line a little bit more, which I do now, um, <laughs> uh, we actually did do quite a bit of work on, on, on that scene, you know, as it was originally written, um, it wasn't risotto, it, it was, was pasta. pasta. Um, mm. And so the ingredients list was garlic, pasta, asparagus, and Parmesan cheese. Mm-hmm. And... I don't remember if it was me or if it was you or David that said, I feel like this meal needs to be. It was you. Of course it was you. You love fancy food. Okay. All right. Fine. (laughs) And then I was like, it has to be risotto because that's what Jonathan would cook. But what we were trying to express was that he was. It's um, a big deal. It's a big deal. And so that's why there's the little argument like, hey, like I, I planned this out. Yeah, oh, tot- and I totally get it, and uh, that's why I love yeah. the risotto choice because risotto yeah. is—it's a specific list of ingredients. It's a—it's a specific flavor profile. You go out intending to make mm-hmm. this dish for a particular right. reason, like, mm-hmm. and you stand over the stove that's for twenty it. minutes. Yeah. and that there's a particular and reason you can't leave it. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's an investment for sure. Yeah. And it, you know, like you have to continually stir the risotto, and in and like you're standing over the pot, and you're, you know, you have to buy a bottle of wine. You have for to buy it. a bottle of wine because you start it with wine. Right. After you, you know. Like you shimmer the garlic and, and all that stuff, um, and so having that that kind of visual, I think, is so strong that he's taking the time and the effort to create something that is not about boiling a pot of water, um, right? Yeah. You know, it's a true investment not only in what they're eating that evening, but also in the relationship. Saying, "I'm going to make you risotto," um, which is actually one of the first dishes that I cooked for my wife, and I botched it. Oh. It's so easy to botch, though. It's so easy That's to botch it because risk. because I had had this uh, this amazing uh, risotto at this um, restaurant in Boston called Maria, which is a butternut squash risotto. Oh, with um, pork crackling over top. It was so good. Wow. It was so good, and, and so I'd, like I said to myself, I was like, I, yeah, I mean, I know how to make risotto. Like I can totally do that, and I didn't like roast the butternut squash before I put it in the pan. Like I thought, oh yeah, you made that I'm no. just gonna saute it. And so like it didn't cook. And so it was like perfectly good risotto with just these like hard little balls of butternut squash in it. And it was terrible. And like I hung my head in shame. I still do. I'm doing it right now. Like like But she loved you anyway. I know, but like it's such like high stakes, stakes. because yeah. of risotto. Um <laughs> <laughs> so this is what you guys are talking about, the steaks. <laughs> yeah, totally, yeah. And I wasn't even attempting the pork crackling part. I was like, I can just right. get the butter and it squash was out Right, of that. right, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, and so, you know, having a dish in the script that that is about care and about attention to detail and about um, that stuff, I think is a really strong choice from Danielle. Um, but subtle. Very yes. subtle. I mean, nobody yes. in the audience yeah. is going like, "What a strong choice, risotto!" Right. <laughs> but when you when you unpack right. it, and everything in the script is like that. And if that's, you really you know, unpack yeah. it, it's all there. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know the movie Big Night? Yes, of okay. course. So there's the scene at the beginning um, where <laughs> she orders risotto, and then Sam Latucci comes over with the, with the food, and the diner says, "Where's my side of pasta?" And then he says, this is risotto. 
it's starch. And it's like, it said that every entree comes with a side of pasta with marinara sauce. And he's like, it's starch. <laughs> and there's kind of an echo of that, you know, in, in, in this play where it's just that sort of unbelievable, like, you know what I'm doing here. Right. <laughs> so why are you invading my, my grand plan for culinary mastery? I love it, though, invading my grand plan for something with you. Right. <laughs> because, because I'm trying to impress you. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, the, the, I, that's that's the the sharp conflict there that I think is so interesting is like her approach to food means that you can improvise and still have the same level. Of, we're still having a meal together, so mm -hmm. this is totally okay. Whatever. Right. It's about like, us being together. We have to eat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well eat. See, well. just that one scene alone is like an, is an entire car ride discussion right. home. Just, Why don't you make me risotto? Yeah. <laughs> me right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then inevitably he's gonna botch it. Because <laughs> it's really hard. Because it's really it's hard. hard to do. It is really hard to do. Like, yeah. Why won't it cook? Oh, I've yeah. used up all of the chicken stock. <laughs> <laughs> Just put water in it. All of a sudden, but water doesn't bring flavor. No. Then all of a sudden, you're throwing the pot on the ground and having a fight. And then makeup sex, and you know all that stuff. And then the pizza arrives. And then the pizza. Mm -hmm. Perfect night. That it really sounds is. like a perfect night. Mm -hmm. <laughs> perfect night in a healthy relationship. Okay. Right. Yeah. Well, it is seven o'clock, which I believe means we're well over an hour. It's call for the next show. Okay, and that's even better reason to pack up. Thanks, you guys. Oh, we have to do another one. We're doing another one. Oh, it is Saturday. Surprise. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, uh, what are you guys doing after Nexus? Real quick, do you know yet? Yeah. Um, I will be in DC. It, this probably will be over actually by the time that you It'll air this. Air on the eighteenth of February. Ooh, it's tight. Um, I'm going to be doing a workshop of Rachel Teagle's play, The Impracticalities of Modern Day Mastodons. With oh, okay. Partnering, yeah, partnering. Yeah. Um, Inkwell is partnering with Hub. Mm -hmm. um, and it'll be showing. Um, start. So we're going to go into rehearsal right on Monday. I'm going to go straight from the train there. And that's actually. Um, you know, we talked last time I was here about how much I am in love with playwrights. Uh, Rachel was my first. And um, I've actually been working on this play longer than Nexus, if you can believe it. Wow, okay. They yeah. couldn't be more different. But yeah, so that's what I'll be up to. All right. Cool. Oh, me? And you, yes. Uh, back to New York. Back Make to, some risotto. Back to risotto making or <laughs> whatever. Uh, no, I mean, you know, there's a couple of things in the pipeline, but... Uh, nothing to announce. Sure, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Unless I just announce it and then I secret it or something. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know. Uh, nope. I'll keep you updated. Sure. I'll well, phone it in. Oh, great. I can, I'll can. i put it in the show notes if you feel so moved Ooh. to, to get when something becomes notes. official and stuff. Definitely. So th thank you guys for uh, taking some time between shows and talking about this awesome play. And I hope we see you both again. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, Aaron. Can't wait.